So we have a special guest family here, really to the whole family. Your two of your kids aren't here today, but uh, Brett and Kathleen, uh, I was going to say they're from Florida, but they don't live in Florida anymore. I found out today they sold their house in Florida. They have a little motor home out in front. I don't know if you saw it. That's like their home right now until God kind of shows them where they're supposed to be. So I don't know if she'll tell you about that, but I thought that was interesting. They're just, they just uh, want to serve God and want to go where God would have them to go. And so uh, they were going to be up here this weekend, and so we, we said, yeah, we'd love to have you come. She, uh, they, they were here at Christmas time, some of you might remember. So let's uh, welcome them, Brett and Kathleen. Yeah. that we get to meet family everywhere and um, where we are is is home and so when we're with the body of Christ we're home anywhere no matter where we are we're home right now and uh, so I just uh, thank you for welcoming us welcoming us and having us here at your home and um, you know God is uh, we serve an amazing huge awesome God as you know we we're singing about him this morning <laughs> You know, but God has a way of bringing us through stuff and uh, helping us to look more like him, if you know what I mean. <laughs> now, I was going into, um, I was going in to record my third CD, and I remember I was asking the Lord for a new song. I desperately needed a new song, and I was going through one of those drier seasons, if you know what that's like at all. And I was saying, God, you know, I'm going in to record it. I had the other, the other songs ready, but I just hadn't written that final song that I knew I needed. And, and just in my life, I needed it at that time. And so, you know, when you get like a blockage or if you feel somewhat disconnected, at least for me, the first thing I do is I start like repenting of everything I can think of. <laughs> like there's something that I did, you know. <laughs> there's something going on. There's something uh, in the pipe, so to speak. <laughs> and I did that. And I did it again and again. And still I, it just, man, I still just felt this weird, I don't know. I want to explain it. And so I just pressed in more and I pressed in more. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, Lord, all right, I'll be still and know that you are God, and I'll just trust in that. And so I went to sleep, 
next morning, I was dreaming. And in that dream, I was singing. Jesus, rain on my parade. Strip me down again. So I'm desperate for you, Jesus, whatever it takes, bring me to my end. So I'm desperate for you, amen. I woke up, I'm like, hallelujah, I got my song. <laughs> I went running to my keyboard and I was just, I was just so excited. And I sat there and I started singing and, and playing and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> what are these words? <laughs> Jesus, rain on my parade. Strip me down again so I'm desperate for you. Jesus, whatever it takes, bring me to my end so I'm desperate for you. I'm like, okay, that is not the song I was looking for. <laughs> oh, man. And all of a sudden, as I sat there, the Holy Spirit of God just filled my room, and I remember my heart broke before God. And I said, Lord, you know this is exactly what I've been praying. But whatever it takes, I want to be more like you, like my dad. And in that place, I remember he continued to minister to my heart. And I worshipped him even stronger than before. And then he poured out the whole rest of the song and all the lyrics, the rest of it right there. question is this morning, are we willing to say to God, Lord, whatever it takes? You know, I ended up calling the song Dangerous Prayer. Some of you shake your head, you know exactly what that means. <laughs> if you don't, I promise you, you pray a prayer like that. It can be dangerous because God's going to move. And sometimes it's not exactly exactly what we need and we can trust him because he is good and his love never fails and his mercies are new every morning so we can truly know he is who he says he is
So God, with that. 
That was awesome. Wow. I gotta sit down. Dangerous prayer. We're gonna have communion in a little while, and uh, I think that's where we need to be at when we come to the cross. Dangerous prayer. Lord, do whatever you want to do. Reign on my parade. That's awesome. Let's open our Bibles, Titus chapter one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Titus chapter 1. We're going to get it here in a second. Can we get that screen? There we go. Good. So we just began our study uh, really last week in the book of Titus and uh, Titus is, a, is a, an incredible book, and, but this, this man, Titus, this uh, guy who was he, uh, I thought it was fascinating to, just to see the kinds of things that were written uh, in 2 Corinthians and also in Galatians, but how, how uh, he ministered to Paul, Paul ministered to him, Paul saw him as a son, he saw him as a brother, he saw him as a partner, as a, a fellow worker, a co-worker, and... and uh, there was just this, you know, working together to serve Jesus. And, there, and it doesn't get any better than that. And Paul and Titus, Paul needed Titus and, and Titus needed Paul. And, and really the truth of the matter is, and I, and I try to bring that up, is that we really do need each other. We really do need each other. We can't do this thing alone. And... Uh, the family, as the family comes together and we encourage one another, we strengthen one another, we challenge one another and to go on. And, uh, you know, family all over the world and like our family joining us here today, you know, that's uh, really awesome. So Titus was like-minded with Paul. He had enthusiasm. He had initiative. And 
and now Titus is serving where? Can anybody remember? <coughs> Excuse me. Crete. Like concrete. And, con and concrete is tough, right? It's hard. And uh, Crete was a tough place. We, we read about it in the first part of chapter 1 there that, that Crete was a tough place. But, but Titus was going to serve there and, and, and Paul wanted to send him some encouragement. Now, we're only going to kind of look at the first part of it here. But we talked about this last time in the very beginning. If you look at the first part there, he says, Paul, a servant of God. And that's the first thing that Titus would see. And it's the first thing that you and I see that, that, you know, that Paul belonged to God. Paul was a servant of God, first and foremost. Yeah, he was called to be an apostle, but first he was a servant. And, he, and he's calling you and I to be servants as well. But it, if you know what, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, what Bible, the Bible tells us about Jesus, that he emptied himself and he became a servant, right? It talks about that in the book of Philippians. And you all know the story where Jesus, you know, got the towel and he went around and, and washed the disciples' feet, which is what the servant would do, the lowest servant would do. So Jesus became a servant and he's calling us to be servants. He was talking to Titus here and, and, and teaching Titus about serving God. And, 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 uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read to you a couple of verses uh, about being servants. Paul uh, as I mentioned to you last time, uh, Corinth was a place that had a lot of problems. And they were like into the personality cult too. You know, uh, one guy was, you know, enamored with Apollos, another guy with Paul. And they, you know, had their favorite ministers, their favorite, you know, and they put these guys up on the pedestal and that. But, but Paul, you know, he had to kind of straighten them out. And he said to them this, he said, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? He says, only servants. When we lift people up and we, we lift people up uh, and, and make them higher than, than they should be, we're just lifting up servants. We have to understand we're all just servants. But later in chapter 4, Paul says this. He said, so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. He knew this. It was no question in his mind. We're just a servant. And he said, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And he said, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So to be a servant, one of the most important things is that we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. And what does that mean? Uh, I define it in two ways. One is to be consistent, that you show up, you're faithful to be there, right? If you're going to serve God, you're, you need to serve God and just be faithful about it, right? But I think the other side of it is the, is the kind of archaic use of the word. In the old, uh, if you look in a, a, you know, a, a Webster's dictionary, you'll see the word means also full of faith. Faithful means full of faith. And so, yeah, you show up and you, and you just do what God wants you to do. You, and you show up, you're faithful to be there, you're faithful to be there when you're supposed to be there. But you also, it's, it's a thing about having faith that God is going to do something. If you're going to serve in the nursery, in the Sunday school, you're going to show up and you're going to be there, but, but there's a sense where you have faith that this is God that is going to show up and do something. I'm not going to do anything when I show up here. 
but I have faith that God will do something. Do you see what I mean? Later in that chapter, he talks about motives, too, that, that God's going to deal with our motives. You know, he's going to deal, if we, have, if we have motives that really aren't that great, I'm going to stand up. Is that okay? Yeah. And, and he, will, he will deal with our motives, and, and he has a good way of doing that. So today we're going to pick it up where we left off, though, though in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says Paul is servant of God. Let's, let's read those uh, first verses there. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness of faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God. Our Savior. Now that's just the introduction. And you could say, well, that's just the introduction. We'll just read it and we'll move on, right? But you know, when you look at something like this, there's like there's like so much in there. It is like jam-packed, right? Just those verses there, but, but really kind of what, what we see, Paul talks about what he's doing and, and that he's a servant and that he's also an apostle, which kind of, you know, give you uh, different sides of the spectrum, right? He's, he, he says, first, I'm the lowest servant there is, but I'm also an apostle. And in other words, he has the authority of an apostle. He's been sent by God. And that, the word apostle uh, literally means sent one, someone who is sent. But we see in the New Testament an apostle is one who's been sent by God specifically and giving us these words. And, and so Paul, if you see there, he says that he's an, a servant and an apostle, and then he says, for the, for the, there's a reason for it. And, and, and he begins to explain. And so what, what I see here is that Paul, his message, his preaching, his teaching, his serving, and his whole life, really, were about this. He gives us this little summary, and, and he says that, that all these things, I've been called a servant and apostle, and all the things that God had called him to be and to do, he says, was for what? The faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's what he was, that was, was what he was all about. He had a purpose in his life, and, and it was for them. It was for the people. It wasn't for himself, Right? It was for their faith and for their knowledge. And so I just want to look at those for a few minutes today and think about that. If that's what Paul was saying is, was important to him, I think it should be important to us as well. And it is important to me. So the first thing he says, it's for the faith of God's elect, for their faith. And, and really, this, this kind of has two sides to it, really. Number one, faith, beginning faith. And when I say beginning faith, that's where we start, right? That's where we begin. That's where we trust, we have faith in Jesus Christ that he came to the earth, that he gave his life upon a cross, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. And that we have faith and that we trust in that, that through that, our sins are paid for, that we're forgiven. 
You see, Paul was an apostle, and, and, and if you read it, and even Peter said, man, I can barely sometimes understand everything that's Paul saying because it is so deep, right? I mean, his writing is so deep. And he was an incredible teacher, right? Right? Thank you. See, our family's here today. He was an incredible teacher, but Paul had such a heart for the gospel that he wanted to see people. And he said, he said, I'll do anything that people could come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Didn't he say that? He said, I, I'll be, I have become all things to all men so that I might save some. Now, he wasn't going to save them, but that's how he described God using him to bring people to Jesus. So Paul's life was for the faith of God's elect that, that people would, would trust in Jesus Christ. We start there. We're going to finish there today because we're going to go to the cross as we have communion. That, that Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way for you and I to go to heaven. The only way for you and I to be saved. There's no other way, no other path, no other way to get there no other religion but a relationship with jesus christ if you don't have that today you 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 need to pray that dangerous prayer jesus i don't have it i don't i don't know you the way that that he's describing paul had a heart for it i have a heart for it that you would come to know jesus today if you don't know him already you'd receive him and ask him into your life the second part of faith, of course, is growing in our faith. Don't we, don't we need to grow in our faith? You know, if we just become believers and we just are stuck there, how many of you sometimes feel like you're stuck? God calls us to grow. He wants us to grow in our faith. And Paul, this is part of what I believe Paul is talking about here. You know, he, he wants to see people grow in their faith, that it's an ongoing thing. If you just accept Jesus and you never grow, you never get any further than that, you're missing out. You're missing out on everything that he has for you. Because it's a journey, it's a, it's a lifelong journey where you and I need to, need to grow in our relationship. If you have a relationship with a person, if you just know them as Bob, or just know them as Joe, or just know them as... Susie or whatever, and that's all. You're just on a first-name basis, and you don't know anything else about them. How deep is that? Now, you can keep it at that, right? There's a guy you work with. His name's Joe. Some of you know who I'm talking about. And you say, hi, Joe, and that's it, right? That's not, that's not much, though, is it? But to deepen a relationship and to, to grow in that relationship, that's what God wants for you and I. And, and as we trust Him more, this idea, this thing that we've been singing about, to trust Him more. To trust Him more. How, how does that happen? Sometimes it is through trials, isn't it? In fact, probably most of the time it's through trials through the hard stuff of life that we have to go through till we get to that place where we, we say we, we have no other way to make it through but to trust him more. Paul wanted to see Titus and the people that Titus was going to minister to and serve to grow in their faith. For their faith. Their faith in Jesus. Jesus. 
The second thing, though, we see is this knowledge, isn't it? He talks about it here. He says, for a faith and knowledge. He was a servant of God. He was an apostle. All the things that he did was for their faith and for their knowledge. Now, we can, we can think about that. He calls it the knowledge of the truth here, and, 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 and he just wanted them to know the truth. He wanted them to know the truth. Well, if you open your Bible or if you go to your, your uh, phone, some of you are you know, texting right now or whatever, uh, but if you go to your Bible app on your phone and you punch in truth there and go to the New Testament, you're going to see all these words about truth. Paul wanted them to know the truth. Have a knowledge of the truth. That's what was important to him. Now, uh, the enemy is called the father of what? He's called the father of lies. He doesn't want you and I to know the truth. He, in fact, uh, you know, it says that lies or lying is his native language. When you're in the world, the world is not trying to increase your knowledge of the truth. But Jesus said what? That he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Something else Jesus said in John chapter 8, one of my favorite verses, you hear me quote this one, Jesus said to the Jews, to those Jews who believed him, they already believed him, he said this, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You really are my disciples if you abide in what? My word. But the next verse, we quote it, but we forget about that verse I just read. The next verse, and you shall know the truth. And the truth will what? Make you free. Paul, teaching the Titus, teaching the people, he says, I want you to know. Everything I'm doing is that you would have faith and that you would have knowledge of the truth, that you would know the truth. I want you to know the truth. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But Jesus also connected it to the word of God, to his word. That's why we teach the Bible. You know, we, I don't think we do hardly anything. Well, we didn't have a Bible study at the yard sale yesterday. I, I, I repent from that. But most everything we do here, we have something that brings out the truth of God's word because it's what we need. It's the only way we're going to grow. You're not going to grow reading poems. I like poems, some of them. But God's word, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. In 1 Timothy, uh, I'll just remind you of another verse that uh, people have quoted often. But Paul says this to Timothy. Again, he's teaching Timothy as a, a young pastor. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to what? A knowledge of the truth. To come to a knowledge of the truth. That was important. It was important to Paul, right? But Paul says in 1 Timothy, the verse I just read, is that it's important to God. God wants you to know the truth. He wants you to have a knowledge of the truth. 
Now, is that just a bunch of head knowledge, right? That your head just kind of gets, gets all swollen up and you know so much. You have a, you know, all these letters after your name, you know, because you've been to school and you studied all these things, PhD, pretty heavy dude, you know, all these different names you can have after your name and then you're just like, it's, it's probably kind of hard to walk when you're just like trying to hold that all up, right? But we get like that. We get like that sometimes because we think we know a lot. But what does he say here in this verse? In verse 1, he says, the knowledge of the truth that what? That leads to godliness. It leads to godliness. It, it's not just knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge of the truth. It, it's, a, it's a knowledge that actually gets into you and begins to work on you and change you from the inside out. That scripture, that word of God that gets in there and you get convicted about something, you, 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 you know that, hey, something isn't right in my life, and, and God wants to work in you. He wants to work in me. He wants to change me. He wants, he wants purity in my life. You know, I think, I think we, we, our society, and, and I, I'm, I'm afraid that it's crept into the church where it doesn't matter. You can just know stuff. But it, it doesn't really have to affect your life. You can just live like the rest of the world, but you're going to be okay. That's dangerous. Because maybe you're not okay. Because I think if you really have a knowledge of the truth, if I really have a knowledge of the truth, it's going to get in me, it's going to work in me, and it's going to make me be more like Jesus. We heard about that already. Make me be more like Jesus. Purity of life. We can't just do everything the world does. But you know what? We don't need to do everything the world does. Why? Because a lot of stuff the world does is not good for you. It's not healthy. It's not going to help you. It's only going to hurt you and harm you. You say, well, God just wants to take away all the fun in my life. Well, that's not it at all. God knows what's best for the human race. He knows what's best for you and me. A knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. I thought of this verse this morning and I looked it up. Peter says this. He says, His, that is God's, divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of Him. Doesn't that connect with what we're talking about here? He says a knowledge that leads, a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. But Peter says through the knowledge of Him, He's giving us everything we need for life and godliness. Through knowing Him. Again, it gets back to that developing this relationship with Him. You say, well, you know, I don't really have any power in my life. I don't have any power of God in my life, but are you walking with Him? Are you developing this relationship with Him? Whoa. Stop preaching. I'm just trying to give you what it says here because that's what hits me. I read it and say, well, what is it trying to say to me? It's trying to say that 
I need to grow in my faith. I need to know the truth and walk in truth that leads to godliness. Another thing that I was thinking about, one of the scriptures that I think about sometimes at night is the armor of God. Y'all know the armor of God? Where is, where is that found? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, right? And, and there's different pieces of armor, but the first piece of armor is what? Good guess, but you're wrong. It's the belt of truth. The first thing is the belt of truth that kind of holds you together. The truth of God's word, the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are. It kind of holds you together and, and keeps the enemy from just like having his way with you. What... What's another piece of armor? It's actually, I think, the fourth one. I'd have to count them in my head. The shield of faith, right? Where you can stop those fiery darts that the enemy is firing at you. So we have a belt of truth. We have a shield of faith. Paul's saying, I want you to grow. Why am I doing this? Why am I a servant? Why am I an apostle? Why, for the faith and knowledge of God's people, of God's elect. So in warfare and battle. I know some of you are saying, well, you're, you're skipping over that part about God's elect. Well, I'm not skipping over it. I thought I'd come to it now after the after faith and knowledge, because it is important. You read a word like that, and some of you say, well, it doesn't mean anything to me, but, but for those of you who have thought about this, read these words, what does that mean, God's elect? where there's a doctrine and people who write theology books, you know, about, uh, it's called the election. And what does that mean? That means that God has chosen. God's elect, those chosen by God. You say, well, but I thought I chose him. Right? And then I say, well, you did. But he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, Paul says in Ephesians. Now, we're not going to, you know, we could go on and on about this. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on this because, you know what, you go to, if you go in, onto any Bible college, any, any uh, theological school in the, in the country, and there's going to be people that are debating this right now. Somewhere there's somebody debating this right now. Why is that? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that sovereign election, God choosing, and human responsibility where people are held responsible for their choices are both taught in the scripture. They're both there. The problem we have is trying to harmonize those things. Well, how does that work? Because I chose him. No, he chose you. No, I chose him. No, he chose you. Back and forth. Can we understand totally how that works out? I don't think we can in our finite human minds. Someone said this, few doctrines of Scripture have suffered more misunderstanding, provoked more debate, and strained more intellects than this doctrine. You're going to say, well, uh, you know, then it, then it breaks into the different camps, you know. Well, I'm a Calvinist. No, I'm an Armenian. And those are the two guys that kind of like, you know, uh, 
were the, the heads of the different movements, uh, you know, of, of the two different sides, right? What are you? I'm a Calminian. I don't know. What are you? I don't know. All I know is that I needed to make a decision for Christ. And all I know is that he had his hand upon me from way before I ever even knew who he was. Can I figure that all out? No, but I know I need to make a decision for Christ. And if that's you today, you need to, to, to make a decision for Christ. If you want to know if you're chosen, if you're one of his elect, you want to know how? How? Trust him and you'll know. I'm not just joking about that. That's really the truth. Warren Wiersbe, one more comment on this. Warren Wiersbe said this, and I love Warren Wiersbe, you know that. He said, God's elect are those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He's not even trying to figure it all out. That guy is brilliant. So, did I cover that okay for you? Yeah. All right. We can debate about it afterwards over donuts. It's donut day today. Come on. <laughs> Verse 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. See, this faith and this knowledge, it's, it's got foundations, right? It's built on foundations. And the foundation is what? The, the hope of eternal life. And we're not talking about the worldly kind of hope that's kind of wishful thinking. We're talking about confident expectation of eternal life. That's the way we understand hope in the biblical sense. When you see that word hope, it means confident expectation, that eternal life. So we're, our faith and the knowledge of the truth is built upon this, that, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. I want you to turn with me uh, quickly to 1 John chapter 5. So you're going to turn ahead a number of books. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11. And I want you to read these verses with me, if you will, please. Kelly and I were talking about this eternal life, and... and uh, he quoted these verses to me, and I want to I read them because they are powerful. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, he says, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is where? In His Son. Look at verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is no other way. There is no other way to have eternal life but to have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in your life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Paul said, you know, this faith and knowledge is built upon, it's based upon this eternal life, the hope of eternal life. And, and John now, John the Apostle is saying this is very, very important. 
to live in heaven forever with him. How do you get it? How do you have it? You have it by having this relationship, by having Jesus Christ in your life. But he says, I'm writing these things to you. Paul was writing those things so that they would know and understand. He's saying, I'm writing these things so that you may know. Paul's writing for knowledge, the knowledge of the truth. John is writing that you would know that you have eternal life. That you would know, that you know, that you know. Kel and I were talking about this. You know, there, there are people who, even in this church, who don't really know that they have eternal life. Why is that? Because you don't know what it says right here. You don't know what, what these Bible verses say. How do you know? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. It's not having a degree. It's not going to Bible college. It's having Jesus in your heart and in your life. That's how you know. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what, that's what Paul was saying to Titus. To Titus, you know, he said, God doesn't lie. God promised it. We all know John 3.16, I think. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life, have eternal life. That's what the promise is. And Titus, Paul says to Titus, God doesn't lie. God cannot lie. And God promised that. So if you and I believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We believe and receive. That's why, that's why Paul said that the faith and knowledge are built upon the hope, the confident expectation of eternal life for you and for me. Paul, as we get ready for communion, Paul, it said there that he was entrusted with that message. He was given that message. And Paul realized it wasn't his message. He didn't, he didn't make it up. He talks about that. He says, I received it from God. It's a message from God for you, for him. And so he was entrusted with a message to preach it. And, and you know what? I think... I think each one of us, but, but especially someone who has a responsibility to teach and to preach, have been entrusted with a message and, and must take it seriously. I've been entrusted with a message to faithfully proclaim His Word, not my Word. That you would grow in your faith, that you would grow in, in knowledge. That's why you're here. That's why you're sitting here. It's not just to kill some time on a Sunday morning, right? You could go to the beach, you could go do all kinds of things, right? But that you might grow. That's my heart. That you'd grow in your faith, that you'd grow in your knowledge of the truth. That you would be set free by the, by the Word of God in your own life. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about the cross now, and that's really what, that's what we're here about, right? 
the cross. That's what makes it possible for us to meet here today at all, period. No cross, let's go home. No point in it. Go join the other club down the street. The cross. The cross is what makes eternal life possible. As we have faith, as we, first of all, we hear about what he did, and then we have faith in what he did. Faith in Jesus. I read this quote. I want to read it to you. And uh, I'm going to have to turn to read it. Do you know for certain that you have eternal life and that you will go to heaven when you die? Do you know for certain? We're going to have communion. I'm going to send you back and to, to get the elements. They're going to be on the back table there and you're going to get up in a minute. But you need to know that you know. This needs to be settled. Don't go get uh, the bread and the cup if you don't know that you belong to him, that you haven't surrendered and said, yes, I'm yours. I give myself to you. I, I receive you in my life. It, partaking of that little cup and that bread are not going to save you. You're trusting in Jesus, does it? And as we do that, that is like we're, we're, we're standing up and we're telling people, we're telling the world, we're telling ourselves, we're telling the enemy that I belong to Jesus. That's why we do that. That's why we're called to do it regularly. We do it consistently. Do you know that you're his? that you have eternal life. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and love. We began with that, the cross. We, we come to you now, Lord, and I, and I pray as we come and we partake together, as we, each of us will go, and though we're in the same room partaking together, each of us has a personal decision, personal responsibility to get up out of our seat because we believe to take those steps from our seat to the back table and, and pick up that bread and that cup because we believe. To bring our failures, to bring our hopes, to bring our dreams to the cross, to pray those dangerous prayers because we believe. Father, maybe there's someone here today who needs to, to say that for the first time. I believe. I trust you. You died for me. I'm lost. I ask you into my life. I ask you into my heart today. Save me. Be my Savior today. Father, thank you for your love for us. Where would we be without your love? As Dave prayed this morning, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. No other way to get there. In Jesus' name.